It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Today's episode is brought to you by Run Cody Wyoming Races. They have three awesome races coming up for the end of the year. The first one being the Mac Mountain Run, happening Saturday, August 26th. This is a 15K of epic proportions, the steepest of climbs and the gnarliest of descents. You may even see a bear or two. Bring your big girl panties for the 15K or come enjoy the 5K with the whole family. RunCodyWyoming.com for more information or search on Ultra Sign Up to register. The second race coming up is a gravel grinder. It's called Fistful of Dirt Bike Race. It is going to be held on Sunday, September 3rd. Come ride the good, the bad, or the ugly. 20 miles, 60 miles, or 100 miles. And brand new for this year is the Drifter. It's a 40-mile race. This is a Wild West shindig, a gravel bike race, and a dang good party. Beer, food trucks, and a free concert in the park afterwards. To find more, inf- more info on this race, go to fistfulofdirt.com. And the last race for the season in Wyoming, the Buffalo Bill Cody Half Marathon, 10K and 5K, happening Saturday, September 16th. This is your classic road run, a beautiful race, and a wild place. This year, we're excited to announce the first ever 5K distance for the whole event. It'd be great for the whole family. You can find all of these races on Run Cody Wyoming, and we also have hosted the race director, Janie Curtis. Go back in our early episodes and hear all about them. Welcome to Golden Hours Adventure Podcast. Today, we have Endorphin Dude. Hello, Endorphin Dude. (laughs) Hi there. How is everybody? (laughs) Good, good. Doing good. What's your real name? My real name is, well, okay. My my real, real name is actually Guang Koi, but my American name is Tony. So you can call me Tony or Endorphin Dude. Okay. All right. (laughs) Only my mom calls me Guang Koi. (laughs) What's the, uh, are you, what's the name, the story behind the name? The Endorphin Dude name? Well, Um, I I was more talking about Guang Q. Well, so I'm Vietnamese. So okay. uh, my, my real name is Guang Koi. But when we immigrated to the United States in the 70s, um, my mom wanted us to, you know, have uh, Western names so that, uh, you know, the kids can, pro- other kids can, and people can pronounce our names. So um, she named us all after movie stars and celebrities uh, because that's what she knew. So um, do you want to wager a guess as to whom I was named after? Uh, My name is Tony, and I was named after a movie star. Now, mind you, my mom grew up in the 50s and 60s, you know, so. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't even know. I would not even know. I'll just tell you. So who's this movie star? So uh, my mom, uh, I was named after Anthony Perkins because Psycho was my mom's favorite movie. Okay. And she also thought Anthony Perkins was really cute. So she she named me uh, Tony for um, after uh, uh, Anthony Perkins from nice. the movie Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't live up to that. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically enough, uh, Psycho is act- is actually my favorite movie too. So really, that's cool. Uh, sometimes my mom and I will watch it on Mother's Day together. <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect Mother's Day show. <laughs> You know it is, you know, it's it's a boy's love for his mom, you know. So yes, it is too funny. 
<laughs> well, Tony, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We know you're from uh, Vietnam, but what sport do you like to do? And yeah, whatever else you want to tell us. So basically, um, I am, um, I am, I am that guy who later in life discovered uh, sports. I guess uh, later in life. Um, long, long story short. When I was growing up, I was always the fat kid who always got picked last in PE and uh, sports was not my thing. I was uh, I just couldn't do it. You know, I was I was the fat kid. You know, I remember being in high school when we had to uh, when we had PE and we had to like run around the track. I would hide under the bleachers uh, at the track uh, so I didn't have to uh, do the uh, mile run. So I I was that guy, you know, and the problem was that. That kid who uh, ran away from uh, the sports and stuff became the adult who was the couch potato, the unhealthy, you know, lived his life uh, in a in a sedentary mode, bad diet, bad nutrition, everything. And um, in my uh, 30s, I I had a heart attack scare. I didn't have a heart attack. But I did have a heart attack scare, and that was kind of, that was my wake up call. Um, at that time, I weighed in two hundred twenty seven pounds for my five foot five frame. So wow. you can just visualize that's a um, that's clinically obese. Uh, yeah. And I I just aside from just being obese, it was just like I couldn't do much. Physically, it was hard for me to climb stairs and just walking to my mailbox to get my mail was a laborious chore. So after I had that heart attack scare, basically, this happened on April Fool's Day. No joke. I swear to God, on April Fool's Day in 2009, I I collapsed on my living room floor and um, it turns out it was just exhaustion, uh, poor health, just really bad nutrition, stress, all those things led me to this uh, downfall. And that was my wake up call. So I ended up taking um, a breath. And then I, I fortunately, it wasn't a heart attack. But um, I took my dog for a walk around the block. And it cleared my mind. And that one block led to two blocks the next night. And then three blocks the following night. And then before I knew it, I was taking all these long urban hikes all throughout San Francisco, where I was living at the time. And um, it just it was just something that I had never done before. This whole being physical and being athletic. Uh, well, maybe not the term athletic, but being uh, doing something other than laying on the couch eating. Um, so I was doing physical activity, something I wasn't used to. And after a couple of weeks and months of this, I found myself losing weight and sleeping well and just feeling good about myself, uh, physically, mentally, um, everything. And so that was when I decided that, hey, you know, I'm going to run a marathon one day. And um, I, I, I met up with a buddy of mine who ran the San Francisco Marathon in 2009, and he asked me to come out and cheer him on and 
I'm going to fully admit this, fully acknowledge that I knew nothing about running marathons or anything. So I said, to her, oh, that's great. A marathon. What is that? Like five miles? I, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know, you know. So um, when I learned that it was 26.2 miles, my first initial thought was, What's with the point two? You know, like, <laughs> the twenty six <laughs> didn't scare you. It's the point two that got you. Know, it's you. the point two. It's like imagine like running twenty six miles and you have to throw in the point two. You know, and then and then I understood that oh, it's it's the the metric system. You know, it's like you know, so um, but um, but no, I I did understand uh, doing my research that uh, historically it was because um, uh, I I can't pronounce his name the the Greek uh runner Philippides, I think I got that correct. Philippides ran uh, the 26.2 miles, but I think he died right after running. <laughs> yeah. I, I always <laughs> think it's funny that we celebrate a man's death by running. <laughs> this exactly. Is running his mileage. <laughs> exactly. But so anyway, I went out and I uh, went to cheer on my buddy at the finish line at the San Francisco marathon. And, um, I remember being out there at the finish line area and all these runners were running in through the finish line shoot and they, everyone was so happy. And I, I felt that secondhand endorphins, that secondhand runners high. And so I just randomly turned to the stranger right next to me and said, I'm going to run this next year. And because I said <laughs> out loud, you know, I, I had to do it, you know. So that's when I started training, you know, for um, the marathon. And I, it, it just, it was like a, uh, it was a, um, a life-changing event for me that uh, the 2009 San Francisco marathon. And um, it just led me to where I am today as endorphin dude. That's a pretty good story. <laughs> so you, you had a year to train. What kind of plan were you following? Where did you start out? Because you were, you were walking. When did you start running? So that's, that was the thing. I, I really didn't have, you know, I, this was like in 2009. So it's, uh, there's not as many marathons out there as they are now, you know, there are marathons every weekend now, you know, and, um, back then I, I didn't, I didn't know anyone who was a runner. So I had one buddy, um, my buddy Charlie. He he's he he ran a couple of marathons, so um, and a couple of ultras. So I kind of you know got uh, advice from him and things like that. So I followed a couch to five k plan. So um, which which is great, you know. Anyone who's starting out, I highly recommend a couch to five k. And they you know you you they they do this thing where the first day you maybe run like half a mile and then you just increase your mileage and your time and things like that. And um, eventually you'll be able to run a 5k. So that's how I did it. I just felt like uh, the most logical thing to do was start with the mile. And I, I got to tell you that first mile I ever ran, it was just like, I wore like baggy sweats, a <laughs> pair, <laughs> a pair of ripped up sh uh, tennis shoes like um, a Bart Simpson cotton t-shirt nice. from 1986 <laughs> or 1990s, <laughs> whatever it was, you know, <laughs> it, it was just like, um, it was really, I, I had no business being out there. And I just remember that first mile, I ran the first mile 
uh, like as fast as I could because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. You run <laughs> as fast as you can, you know. So I, I did that and I was so out of breath by the halfway mark. So I, I, I had to pu- uh, finish a half a mile for that first time. And then, you know, I started joining some um, uh, message boards online and things like that. And I found some uh, training uh, plans through uh, uh, um, Facebook. Um, Facebook was kind of at its infancy, too. So there was not a whole lot on there. I think Facebook came out, what, like 2007 or something like that. So it was like in its infancy. But I was able to find like message boards and things like that and met a lot of people who was able to uh, kind of guide me through the process. So that's that's how I started. Well, how did the first marathon go? Well, so let's before we get to the marathon, let's back up to the first half marathon. OK, because, um, you know, in, in the training process for the marathon, um, I had to get up to um, 18 miles. And um, I remember when I started training for my uh, first half marathon, it was it was brutal um, because, you know, it was nothing that I had done before. And after completing the first uh, my first 5K, I, I felt really good. And then after I completed my first 10K, I was like, this is great. And when I ran my first half marathon, um, it was the San Jose Rock and Roll Half Marathon in 2009, and I ran a very respectable two hours and 15 minutes. I think that's respectable. Oh, yeah, especially definitely. for my first time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so when I nailed the uh, 2.15 finish, I was, I, 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 I'm just going to flat out say it, I, I got really cocky. I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You know, we're all friends here, right? Um, <laughs> I got really cocky and I, I said to myself, well, I just ran a 215 half marathon. I can easily do a 430 marathon, just double it. And the marathon's not for you know nine months away. So I'll just train a little bit more. I can totally go sub four, easy. <laughs> <laughs> and for anyone out there who's um, never run a marathon before, I- I'm just going to uh, give you some unsolicited advice here. <laughs> never, ever double the time. <laughs> just no. because you can run a uh, half marathon in two hours, 15 minutes does not mean and pro- most likely will not mean that you will be able to do it in uh, the double the time because um it it's not dub- it the degree of difficulty the degree of difficulty doesn't really go up by double it goes up exponentially once you get deeper <laughs> into the race you know it's like eight so, times harder <laughs> yeah so in training for the marathon i was having difficulties hitting those later miles um uh, there's this thing called the wall you know that uh yeah uh, runners hit and usually for marathoners it's about mile 18 and that's when i had to come up with creative ways to um get through these training runs because i would like lose interest and lose energy hitting those miles so i just created like this little video game environment where uh when i hit the uh like a certain mile marker, like mile 18 or 19, I would get a power pellet that would give me energy. Sort of like in a video game, you know, like how 
Pac-Man, when he eats that uh, little power pellet, he gets <laughs> super strength and he can eat all the ghosts that uh, comes by, you know? So it was the same way for me. I, 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 I would get this power pellet, which would be in the form of like a pack of goo or something like that, you know, or maybe a gummy bear. I love gummy bears. Um, and so I would give myself that little power pellet and then it would give me that metaphorical energy where I can like punch out like the other runner next to me or like the biker <laughs> coming by, you know, pow, pow, you know. The mom with the stroller that's always right. passing the, you. The mom with the stroller, you know, or the little old lady with like the, her little shopping cart, you know. <laughs> and and that's, that's where Endorphin Dude um, was pretty much uh, came to life because I was that uh, video game. I, I was Endorphin Dude, the video game the uh, marathon Cape Crusader who's saving the world one couch potato at a time. And, and that's how I came up with the moniker endorphin dude and it stuck. Yeah. <laughs> how much weight did you lose for your training for the marathon? I dropped about 50 pounds and um, I went from like 227 to about 160, 165. And it was, I was in like new territory because the last time I weighed like 165, I think I was in the second grade. <laughs> <laughs> I was a fat kid. I wasn't lying when I said I was a fat kid. So, um, yeah, so I was in new territory. So it was just like my body had to like get adjusted to this new, like my mind had to get adjusted to this new body that I was in and, and just uh, learning how to run. I know it sounds silly because running just, it's like something that you think it's intuitive. You just get out and run, but no, you got to learn certain things. You have to learn how to breathe properly. You have to learn how to pace yourself. Uh, you have to learn how to not wear a Bart's, a ripped Bart Simpson t-shirt from 1992. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and that's when, uh, uh, um, signing up for all these, um, um, uh, 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 being on all these message boards and stuff, a lot of people were able to give me um, the the guidance that I needed. And also being around other runners. I started joining running groups too, like local running groups and running clubs and just learning from others, you know? So, um, so yeah, I, it was a, it was a brand new thing for me, just trying to adapt to the change. Running groups can be really fun, but they can also be really, uh, negative because they talk you into running stupid stuff <laughs> oh you don't even know the half of it i know that you said that you haven't done your research uh beforehand because you want to come in and just get to know the person but after i did that first marathon i just oh i i went to the dark side you know i mean <laughs> i i joined a club called marathon maniacs if you don't know what that is just google it yeah and it's basically a club for um people who are maniacal about marathons and they had like this whole um peer level uh peer level kind of thing where the more marathons you run the uh more the higher in levels you get and um i got sucked into it and I wanted I was like my first marathon first of all when I ran my first marathon uh San Francisco marathon 2010 it was the most amazing thing I had ever done in my life and I when I crossed the finish line I uh thought I felt like I had just won the Olympic gold medal because it was just like the most 
amazing thing ever. So uh, for anyone who ever plans on training for a marathon and running a marathon, that feeling, if you can just like uh, bottle it and just keep it with you, you know, that, Robbie. you know, it's the greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> um, but so, uh, uh, spoiler alert, I did not run a sub four. <laughs> <laughs> I did not run a 430 either. I I ran a 611, six hours and 11 minutes, which, you know, I, I'm proud of that for the first marathon ever in San Francisco, hilly course. But it was a big wake up call because I came into it thinking easy sub four based on my half marathon time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I... It was supposed to be a one and done thing, the um, the marathon. It, sh- it was one and done. It's just so that I can tell people, I ran a marathon. I, I'm, I'm good. I ran a marathon. But then I got suckered into this club where if uh, you have to qualify to join the club by running three marathons in three months. So I did. I ran another marathon the next month, um, the, e- the extraterrestrial highway marathon in Las Vegas which was a crazy fun one. You run at night and they have like aliens out there, you know, it's like ET, <laughs> extraterrestrial, you know. Uh, and then the third one, I ran the Santa Rosa Marathon in California and that qualified me for Marathon Maniacs. And I just, I was like, okay, uh, three and done. But then once I joined the club and I saw the tier level and I I kind of wanted the top level, which is 10 stars. Um, it's also uh, they they go by like uh, medals or not uh, they go it's like uh, um, bronze silver gold and then up to ten the tenth level is titanium so um, I was like I I want titanium and in order to become titanium and th- these people that you speak of in the running groups and running clubs uh, the the bad the, the the enablers you know they're like oh you gotta <laughs> do it buddy it'll be fun <laughs> yeah exactly so, it'll be easy. Yeah, that is. <laughs> So in order to achieve uh, 10-star titanium status for Marathon Maniac, I had to complete 52 marathons in 52 weeks. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. More like, duh. More like, what? You know? (laughs) So I was like, all right, let's just, let's try it, you know? So I put it out there in the social media realm and said, I'm doing it. 52 marathons in 52 weeks. I'm running for charity. It's for the uh, uh, the local uh, shelter where I adopted my dog, the same dog that I took for a walk around the block. You know, so um, so I I I I, I was raising money for that uh, that that shelter, and that year in 2010, I I really don't know how I did it, but week after week after week, I cranked out a marathon. And when you're doing things for quantity versus quality, you know, you're a lot slower. So I was basically walk jogging marathons every weekend. Uh, Some marathons, um, I think the fastest marathon I I completed that year was uh, five hours and 49 minutes. But the slowest marathon was like in the nine hour range. And a lot of the marathons, I probably averaged maybe like a seven hour finish for that year. But I did it in... uh, 2011, I completed titanium status. And do you know what I got as my um, my award? Are, are you ready for this? Are you, are you ready for this? Are you <laughs> it's going to be good. For- I know it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> there was no cash prize. There was no trophy, <laughs> no certificate. What 
you get is 10 spinning HTML stars on the website after your name. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, that was a status symbol, you know? So I got my 10 spinning HTML stars after my name. And it says endorphin dude, titanium status. And the next logical uh, step after that, you know, because uh, why stop now, right? The, n- the next logical step was to go beyond the marathon distance. And that was when I um, started uh, to dive into the ultra scene. So anything, an ultra is basically uh, any distance over a marathon distance. Um, and depending on who you ask, some people will say that the ultra distance officially starts at the 50K mark, which is 31.2, I think, miles. Others will tell you any 26.3, anything over a marathon distance is considered an ultra. So um, so that's what I started doing. I started training for the 50K because I figure, how much harder can it be? It's only five miles after a marathon. It was kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we step back a minute? I want to ask, what was your yeah. uh, your favorite marathon out of the 52 and your least favorite and the reasons why? Yes. Okay. So um, obviously San Francisco for sentimental reasons, because that was like the um, my first and, and that will always be a sentimental favorite for me. But um, putting sen- uh, uh, sentiment aside and personal feelings aside, the best marathon ever. New York City Marathon. That's a race that I will never, ever run again because there is no way that I can duplicate that feeling of when I uh, ran the uh, New York City Marathon ever again. And I don't want, I want to, I want to savor that memory for the rest of my life. So the best marathon ever for me, New York City Marathon. Incredible marathon. Um it's like the whole state of New York comes out to cheer you on. And when I was running, you know, I, I remember crossing the first bridge, the, um, I, I, I apologize to any, any of your listeners who are New Yorkers, cause I'm probably going to get all my pronunciations wrong and my bridges wrong. <laughs> the Verasano bridge. <laughs> Once you cross that bridge, it's like the whole state of New York comes out and cheers you on. And everyone was cheering me on. And they were like, Tony, Tony, to kill a comedy. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, how do you know my name? And then I realized it was on my bib. <laughs> <laughs> but still, they were cheering me on. They were yeah, cheering they were you on. Yeah, of course. But uh, yeah, so that I would say is the best marathon experience ever. What was the second part of your question? What you was said? your least favorite marathon? Oh, God, least favorite marathon. Um, you always got to have one that yeah, bad experience. You, you, bad experience. Um, you know, I, um, let, let me think about this for a second. Um, th- th- there, there have been some doozies. Um, and the reason why they were doozies, <laughs> cause they were just hard, you know, they're just yeah. like really hard for me, you know? Um, I, I don't think I've ever had a, um, a, I, it's hard for me to rank a, uh, the worst ma- uh, marathon, but if I had to, and um, I would say, and I'm, I'm going to preface this uh, because I, I, I don't want to trash um, the race directors or anyone like that, the organization. Yeah. So uh, 
to answer this question, I'm answering it strictly from my personal experience. And um, my personal experience, and ironically enough, or coincidentally enough, that you're asking me this question because that marathon is happening today. It happened today. Oh. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> the, the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. And, um, and I ran that one in uh, 2011 during my Titanium Quest year. And the reason why um, it was such a hard marathon for me is because um, it, it was just really hard for me. It was a hot day. And um, I, it was like halfway through my Titanium year quest, I was just exhausted. And I believe that um, that race, I finished like over eight hours. And I remember the, the, the sag wagon was following me, you know, because if you don't reach a certain mile, <laughs> they put you in the sag wagon, they drive to the finish line. And I was like, you're not taking me. I'm finishing. <laughs> so, <laughs> They're honking at you as you're going. <laughs> yeah. So I would rank that as my, my worst experience. But I do want to really reiterate the fact that um, this has nothing to do with the race organization yeah. um, at all. That's just my personal experience of that race. So when you, what would your, when you decided to go to the dark side and go to ultras, the darker side, I guess, since you already went to the marathon room, how did you pick your first 50k? Um, I, well, so I knew that my, um, the best chances of me of completing my first 50k was to do it in a format, a race format that was a timed race. So there are like, uh, Time races are races that are six hour, 12 hour, 24 hour, 48 hours. And you run as much as you can in that time frame that you sign up for. So I signed up for a 24 hour race. And I said to myself, I'm just going to get out there and I am going to run for the full 24 hours <laughs> as much as I can. <laughs> yeah. And that, get that's your, that. that's your adding adding the half marathon to the marathon. <laughs> I'm just going to run exactly. for 24 hours. It'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, but that was the only way I could do it because there was no way at that time that I could finish a 50 K in like the standard nine hours that they give uh, at least that's like a standard uh, uh, cutoff time for a 50 K. Obviously some races give you more, some races give you less, but um, so I knew that the only way I could do it, I, I didn't even think I could do it in a 12 hour uh, race. So I signed up for a 24 hour race and um, I got out there and um, I was able to get 40 miles that uh, in that race. So I went, I went way, I blew past the, the 50 K mark and did 40 miles. So I was really happy with that, but boy, did my body hurt for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would figure I would learn from there and just like, okay, no more. I'm done. It was like, one ultra and done, but I, I just got hooked. I mean, it's just, I don't know what it is, but maybe, um, I think it was rooted deep in me. Like the, the fact that I had been unhealthy all my life. Um, and just, you know, with that heart attack scare that I had, and I think running these distances and running these races has put me, has just reminded me that I'm doing this because it keeps me healthy. And that's why I keep wanting to do more. So I I couldn't, once I conquered that 50K mark, the natural progression, you know, I've, I've talked about natural progression uh, this whole time, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, 50K. The next natural distance was the 50 miler. 
So um, I, I did the same thing. I just started training for a 50 miler and I had uh, done a few 50 milers in that, uh, that time distance um, format. But what I really wanted to do was I wanted to achieve, finish a 50 miler within a, what I call like a standalone 50 miler. So it's, uh, in a race that you have a set time limit to run 50 miles or else you DNF, which is for you listeners who may not know what that term is, did not finish is a DNF. You hear you hear acronyms like that all throughout running. So um, <laughs> DNF, you know. So um, so I signed up for a 50 mile, point to point 50 miler in um, Northern California. It's called the American River 50 mile endurance run. Mm-hmm. And um, it's basically a hybrid course. Uh, the first half is uh, mainly uh, uh, road and the second half is mainly trail. And um, it's a great race. And, but it was like my first, my first point to point standalone 50 miler. And so I got out there and I, you know, was keeping a solid pace. And, and then, as I got deeper into the race, because I had never gone beyond the uh, uh, 40 mile distance before. And that 40 mile distance I did, I did in a 24 hour setting. So there was a lot of breaks, you know, I, I could sit down on my my chair and take a break and eat eat and whatever. With, with the American River 50 mile endurance run, you really can't do that. Um, it's a point to point. So you get into the aid station, get your, what you need, and then you keep moving. So I remember, at mile 41, there was a hard cutoff. And um, that hard cutoff at mile 41, the aid station was called Rattlesnake Bar. You had to get to Rattlesnake Bar, mile 41, um, by 5 p.m. Um, and so uh, the, uh, the the final cutoff for that uh, was 13 hours for uh, that year that I did it. It was 13 hours to finish this race. So I remember cutting it so close and from miles 35 through 40 i was hustling because if you don't make that that cutoff at mile 41 you're done they take your bib away you can't finish so i'm like hustling running for dear life i get into uh like mile 39.4 or 39.7 or something like that and then you have to like run down this very technical hill to get to the aid station to where the uh, uh, the timing mat was. So I'm like running for dear life while also like thinking, oh no, I'm going to fall. I'm going to trip over this rock. So I'm kind of doing this thing where I'm looking at the ground, looking up, looking down the ground while <laughs> running. And I was running for dear life. And then I got down and everyone's like, cross the timing mat, cross the timing mat, cross it. Because you have to cross the timing mat and then cross it again because they measure it on your exit. So if you don't make it, you don't make it. So I got down and right after I got down, I made it with two minutes to spare. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and nice. I was the last runner to make that final cutoff. Every runner behind me got, got cut off. So you can imagine... I had been so stressed out and I made it with two minutes, but I still had nine miles to go. Yeah. So for, <laughs> fortunately I had a pacer, my buddy, Brian, um, great guy. He, he just like 
managed to well first of all he had to like put up with me that was that's always <laughs> he had to put up with me but he he was great you know he got me to that finish line and when i got to the finish line um i was running and the funny thing was all my friends were convinced that i had dropped because um the system stopped updating um uh, results after a certain time. So there was like live timing. So um, everybody was like convinced that I um, had dropped. So everyone who had finished already, all my friends were like wondering what happened to Tony. So I remember, so I'm rushing, I'm running for dear life. Miles 47 through 49.5 is one straight climb up. So I'm like power hiking for dear life up and I get to the top. And then you have to like turn or turn the corner into the parking lot. And then that's where the finish line is. And I remember turning in and then everyone just like, like, oh my God, that's Tony. We thought he was dead. You know, <laughs> everyone was convinced I had dropped and everyone was just like in shock that, and then I ran to uh, cross the finish line, like running for dear life. And I looked at the clock. I made it with like barely uh, like um, one minute and 56 six seconds to spare, I think it was. Oh I think my, uh, my finish time there was 12 hours, 58 minutes and 46 seconds or whatever it was. But it was epic. So that was my um, my 50 mile finish. That's incredible. So, yeah. And, and so you know what happens after that, right? <laughs> we all know. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> You know? well, if I could do that, I just double the time and I can run a hundred, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, so I was just like, well, that was the next logical step, the hundred K and then the hundred miler, because with the hundred mile race, um, the thing is that like, typically when you run um, races, typically um, a half marathon, you get a medal typically for an ultra uh, you'll get a medal. Sometimes you get like a coaster or like a um, uh, a mug, you know, whatever. But what's special about the 100-mile distance is that you get a belt buckle. So it was just one of those things where I was just so intrigued by, you know, I was like, oh, I want a belt buckle. I want a belt buckle. <laughs> so I I was like, that was that was the next thing to do. So I I started training for the hundred miler, which is a completely different uh, training cycle than it would be for like a marathon. Because when you're training for a hundred miler, it's about um, being able to run through exhaustion and um, you have to train your mind and your legs to run back to back uh, uh, days. So on my training schedule were things like uh, 26 miles on Saturday and 18 miles on Sunday. You you have to train your your mind and your your body basically to be able to do that. And um, um, a uh, a fellow runner of mine, ultra runner, a um, really uh, accomplished runner of mine, had said to me early on, and something that really stuck with me. She said to me that in the 100 mile race, um, everything you do. Um, up to the 100k mark which is 62 miles everything you do in the 100 um, everything you do in the 100 miler up to the 100k that's just the warm-up 
what you can produce after the 100K will determine if you'll buckle or not because that's when the sleep deprivation will kick in, the exhaustion will kick in. That's when that blister in your foot becomes like this massive cyst. <laughs> you know, it'll feel like it. That's when your nutrition goes out the window. Um, that's when your hydration, if you don't manage it, um, can cause havoc to you. That's when you're out on the side of this, uh, the trail throwing up, you know. So basically, the 100K is just the warm-up. It's what you can do um, in those final 38 miles that will determine if you will buckle or not. And that's something that has always stuck with me because I'll be honest with you, my um, my my first couple hundred attempts were just horrible, you know? I mean, my first 100-mile attempt, I DNF'd at mile 88. Mm. I just... I, I had barely made the mile 84 cutoff. And then by then I had not, cause I had never gone that distance and I was just running hard just to try to keep up with the cutoffs. And by mile 88, I just completely collapsed. I just couldn't move anymore. So um, it's, it's a completely different beast, you know, but I was determined to, um, to complete this distance. I was just really determined so I, I, I just kept working at it. And um, I, um, when I did ultimately finish my first 100 miler, um, I did it at a race called Rendezvous. It was a race in, um, in um, Morgan Hill, California, near San Jose-ish. Um, I'm sure a lot of everyone knows where San Jose is in America. I'm hoping, you know, you know Silicon Valley. <laughs> so Morgan Hills, like uh, 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 maybe 30 miles south of San Jose. And uh, when I did that race and uh, crossed the finish line of my first hundred, I was just like, all right, I'm done. No more hundreds for me. I'm retired. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and obviously you, uh, you, you know, where, uh, <laughs> where that ended up, you know? So, um, so today I, I have, um, I, I have completed, this is really funny. So um, I, my record for um, 100 mile or more finishes is um, I am 15, 17, 15 for 17, which means I have 32 attempts, 15 finishes, 17 DNF. And yes, I know that the statistics shows that that's a losing record, <laughs> but I don't really see it that way because there's, you know, it's never failure if you learn from um, every experience and hundreds are hard, you know, so that, and that's why I do them because I, um, I, I, the way I see it is that I don't want to do easy stuff anymore. You know, I want to do things that have a, high probability that failure can happen. I recently DNF'd at, um, two weeks ago, I ran the Keys 100, um, 100 miler two weeks ago, and I missed the mile 60 cutoff by two minutes. I got there at, uh, uh the cutoff was 2 a.m. and I got there at 2.02 a.m. Mm. So, um, that was a DNF and it was heartbreaking, but I learned from it, you know? Um, but then, there are other things that I've done that I pushed so hard. Like last year, 
I finished my first 200 mile endurance run. I did a race uh, up in, because like I said, you know, once you've done the hundred, the next logical <laughs> progression is the 200, right? Yeah, what's next? <laughs> so I, last year I ran a race called Pigtails Challenge up in um, Washington, um, in Renton, Washington, which is right, uh, a little bit outside of uh, Seattle. And um, it was one of those, it was like, that was just like a crazy um, mind boggling out of body experience because I, I knew how to finish a hundred miles because I've done it before. You know, I've done it a few times before. Um, I've done it 14 times before. So on the 15th try or 13, well, uh, anyway, my math is off, but I've done it a few <laughs> times. So I know how to finish hundred, but once I hit the hundred mile mark, it was all new territory for me. I was like, Oh my God. You know? So at that point I knew I had time on the clock, but so I just kind of kept moving forward and what I've learned about the 200 is that completely different animal because you have to factor in the sleep deprivation because at a hundred miler, I can go 30, 32 hours without sleep and finish a hundred miler. I do that by weaning myself off of all caffeine four weeks before a race. So when I do take caffeine on race day, it's like, ding, I'm awake <laughs> for like 30, 40 hours. It's not the same when you're running a, a 200 mile distance or more because the cutoff is 82 hours. So you're basically three nights versus like one night, you know, three, four nights. So I was uh, the sleep monster had hit me and it was just nuts because I remember this was a year ago. And it's funny because my Facebook memories just popped up um, about this event. And I remember. When I got to mile 171, I got back to the start finish. It was a nine and a half mile loop. Oh so, my gosh. Um, oh, yeah. geez. With 900 feet of elevation gain per loop. So <laughs> the 200 miler had 18,000 feet of elevation gain. So I got back to my uh, whatever loop 18 or 19, whatever it was, at mile 171. And my girlfriend just like, looked at me and I just couldn't even look at her in the eyes because I didn't want her to see the pain and agony that I was experiencing. And at that point I had like basically a 50 K left to do. And I had 12 hours on the clock to do it. And in any other circumstances, I could deliver that, you know, um, a 50 hour 50 K, but you gotta understand I had 171 miles on my legs. I had like maybe five or six hours of sleep, you know, um, over the past couple of days. And um, I I was just like, it had been raining. So this is like Seattle area. This is the Pacific Northwest. It rains a lot up there. <laughs> so I was just miserable. And um, and I was just like, oh my God. And I I just kind of, I, I just, I could not look her in the eyes. And, and she knows too. She knew that I was in pain, but she wasn't going to let me quit. She just kind of quietly just shoved me out, you know, <laughs> like kind of like I, I, she told me much later. She's like, it was the hardest thing for me to do because I, you know, I didn't want to see you die. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> but you, but you had to do. So she was just being as supportive as she can while gently pushing me out, making sure I continue. And fortunately, I had a really good pacer, um, a guy I just met uh, his the, the guy he was going to pace. 
um, end up dropping to the 150 miler. So um, he was open. His name was is Tom. And so uh, my sister, who was crewing me as well, talked to Tom and said, hey, uh, my brother needs a pacer. And I don't know what it is, but Tom just, he just, he literally brought me back from the dead. And that next loop that I did, I banked like about 20 minutes. And then the, um, the loop after that, I banked like another 20 minutes, which put me in good standing. Because the thing was that there was a hard cutoff at mile 191. You had to get to the final loop by 12 p.m. or else you cannot continue. And when I got to mile 171, I was cutting it so close. I was dangerously close to not making that cutoff. But um, Tom just kind of injected some sort of like invisible energy in me, you know, and I managed to bank enough time. I made the, uh, that final cutoff. I got there, I believe, like at 1121 or something like that. So I had made up 40, like 40 minutes, which set me up for that final loop. I told my girlfriend, hey, Blythe, um, how about you just, why don't you, Tom just ran like the last three loops with me. Um, I got plenty of time on the clock now. Walk it with me. <laughs> just walk it. And she, so Blythe and I, uh, my girlfriend and I did the final lap together. And I finished that race in... 81 hours and 39, 38 minutes. So I had 20 minutes to spare on the clock. And um, what was uh, what, what what made me really proud was the fact that there were 10 starters at this race, at this race and only four finishers. Awesome. So, you know, it, it, it's just like, you know, it's a hard, it's tough. You yeah. know, 200, all ultras are hard. I, I will tell you that. But the 200 is a completely different beast. And when I was one of the four finishers um, um, out of 10, I was just like, I did it. Wow. But I can tell you right now, uh, no more. I'm not going beyond 200. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no Kokodomina? No Moab 240? <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny. You shouldn't. Oh, here we go. We're not going by 200. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> so I, I had been like... I had so I love first of all, is it called is I've always is it era vipa or era vapa? How do you pronounce it? Vipa. Is it vipa? Because vipa. I yeah. go back and forth and I was like, sometimes I get self-conscious, you know. I was like, <laughs> so I, like when I talked to him, I was like so it's sort of like, you know, like in the beginning, I was calling it javelina, you know, javelina. <laughs> so I would say, like, oh yeah, javelina hundred, you know. No, I would say javelina jundred. You know, like, <laughs> like before I discovered like the whole ultra race, I was like, oh, yeah, Javelina Jundred. That's a great race. You know? <laughs> so um, I, I did do um, I, I did do Javelina. Um, I did Javelina during the pandemic. So when I did do it, I made sure that I did pronounce it correctly. You know, so <laughs> but, but anyway, I, I, I'm a big fan of era. Viper, right? <laughs> I'm a big fan of theirs. I've been running their races. In fact, um, I did across the years as my 52nd um, marathon when I did my uh, my titanium quest. So nice. I, I I'm very fond of um, um, Era Viper. They're they're great. And uh, so uh, Cocodona has been kind of like on my I, I I've been just fascinated by it. And then. I learned that this year they introduced the Sedona 125, 
which um, I kind of see it as the coconut half, you know? <laughs> so I, you know, okay, maybe I won't. Okay, maybe I would consider it. <laughs> maybe. I'm going to blame you guys for it, though. Yeah. But, no, but it is intriguing to me. The, um, I, I've been, I, I had a bunch of friends who ran Cocodona. I had a bunch of friends who ran Sedona 125. Um, it's beautiful. But I, I just, all the race reports that I've uh, read and all the people who've done it, I've talked to, brutal, brutal. But that's why I want to do stuff like that. Because it's okay to DNF at something hard. <laughs> You know, yeah. there's no shame in that. Like when I DNF that Keys hundred, I was like, there's no shame. It was like a hundred degrees and it was a hundred percent humidity. You know, there's no shame. I I didn't die, you know, so that was good. But yeah, Cocodona has kind of crossed my mind and yeah, it's crossed my mind, but but we'll cross <laughs> that bridge once we get to it. But for now, for now, no, I'm not going beyond that. <laughs> Out of your 15 uh hundred mile finishes, what's your favorite buckle? Oh, my favorite buckle. Okay. I know you have a favorite. Everyone has their favorite that they just. Everyone has their favorite. Well, do you um, also, do you wear your buckles or do they sit on a shelf? I only wear my buckle um, like maybe uh, a few days after the race. The oh, reason okay. why I don't wear them because I don't want them to get scuffed. I don't oh. want them to get damaged. So <laughs> that I'm, makes sense. I, I do do the display thing. But you, you don't know? put them in a bin and just throw them under the bed or. Oh, no, no. They're Give displayed. them away. I'm just oh no, I don't get it. <laughs> they're, they're displayed. I have little um I have little uh so if you go to like Chinatown, they, they have like uh little stands that they do for their pl plates, you know. So I, I go to Chinatown, I buy really cheap like uh uh plate stands. So um it fits the buckles uh pretty uh uh beautifully. So I would say so my personal preference is that I know people are have their personal preferences and their opinions. Some people like the rugged classic um, buckles. See, I, I, I'm gonna say this, and I know I'm gonna get a lot of hate for it. You know, I like cartoon-like looking buckles. You know, <laughs> I, I I like colors, and I like you know. I mean, of course, I love my bronze buckle. I love it. Like when I ran Rio de Lago, I got a nice little bronze looking uh, buckle. It's a classic look, you know. Um, um, I like those too. I love them. But like the ones with like cartoon animals on it, I, I just think it's great. So my my 200 mile pigtails buckle is, it's, I love, I, I think that's the best. Because what it is, it, it has the number two and it has two pigs cartoon pigs after it to represent the zeros and the That's 200 cool. and then on the side it says miles on it so it's like 200 so it's like uh two pig piggy piggy and miles on it nice. so um i really love that one uh for that reason because it's very cartoony and it's also uh it, the juxtaposition of it being like a cute buckle for such a difficult race make it <laughs> <laughs> Another book I really like is the the Havelina one because I I like that that pig on there you know it's it's a great buckle I, I don't know if you've seen it but it it has the Havelina for those who know Havelina is a pig you know yeah and um it just uh it's just a cool one so but I'll be honest I like all my buckles and I I'm gonna fully admit it I'm gonna fully acknowledge that yes there are days when I will kind of lay them all out, rearrange them, you know, just kind of, you know, do another photo shoot, you know. In fact, I'm going to email you my standard photo shoot of my um 
my buckles because I, I take my buckles, um, I take a picture of my buckles with my dog because I have a five pound dog. So I, I position her with the buckles. And the um, the ongoing joke about my dog is that um, she um, actually it's not a joke. It's actually serious. My dog is in an inappropriate relationship with a cat. So um, the cat is like four <laughs> times her size. And so uh, the uh, so every time I get a new buckle, I will lay them all out, uh, place to strategically place my dog. And the caption will say, um, um something along the lines of um um i now have 15 uh 100 mile endurance run buckles and a chawini a chawini who's in an inappropriate relationship with a cat <laughs> so that's the standard photo which i will send to you so Hilarious. but yeah Perfect. i love all my buckles i i love them all i love all my medals i love i'm a bling guy i like all the bling i i keep them all so so with all these races or training runs you've done What's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you? Oh my god! I <laughs> there's a lot, but I I just I I don't know if I could tell them to you because oh you uh, certainly can you, trust you can. me they, they might be borderline um you know offensive you know <laughs> no offense here uh, I will try to keep this as uh, PG thirteen as possible so. Uh, I will try not to put too much like foul language in it, you know, but um, uh, there's some very embarrassing moments, but um, uh, I will, let me, God, I, 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 you know, I really do want to. He's getting embarrassed trying to tell the embarrassing story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I, I, I'll pick one story. Okay. So so there was this one, uh, um, Usually the bear- embarrassing stories are the one that um, involves some sort of bodily, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Both of the ones that have been prior to you have been bodily functions. Yeah. And, you know, these are things that you um, you uh, you talk about on the trails, you know, it's like when, when you're like with someone like a mile 80, you talk about these things, you know, and you actually, you know, things happen, you know. Um, I okay, so I think uh, one of the embarrassing ones uh, that I I can tell is that so I I ran a race once and this is this is kind of funny. Oh my god, I can't I, I really can't believe I'm telling the story out loud <laughs> on a podcast. But I I ran a race with a buddy of mine, um, Chris uh, Chris, and Chris Chris is a very uh, accomplished um, runner. I mean he's uh, he's done Badwater Western States. Uh, he can crank out uh, a couple of years ago he ran um the san diego um, 100 and then the next day ran the san diego rock and roll marathon uh, this guy is pretty incredible um he he runs a sub three uh marathon been to boston many years and well anyway a uh, buddy of mine uh one uh in 2013 he and i um both um <laughs> by coincidence became unemployed you know at the same time and uh, we both had uh, pretty good uh, severance packages. So we just basically took the year off and traveled um, all throughout the United States and uh, ran marathons and ultras. And we ran this one race once where um, it was just a brutal race for me. Um, and uh, it was a race I had DNF'd at. And we were driving back. It was in Southern California. And uh, I live in Northern California. I live in uh, San Francisco Bay Area. So um, we're, we're driving back and we're on um, five, highway five. And I'm just like, 
God, you know, I've just, you know, I had like gotten so many miles on me and I'm just irritated. And I'm just like, dude, there's just something wrong. I'm not feeling. So I, I, I put my hand down my pants, my shorts, and I'm, I'm just like feeling around. And I was like, oh my God, dude, there's like this weird lump on my, my nut, my left nut. And I was like, what the heck is this? And then it broke off. And I was like, oh my God, something just broke off. And then I, I, I pulled it out. And I, I showed him, I was like, what the hell is this? And he looked at it and he was like, dude, that's a watermelon seed. <laughs> How the hell did you get a watermelon seed into your, onto your scrotum? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I, I really don't know how that happened. I guess it must have happened when um, I was, uh, you know, like probably putting body glide, you know, uh, down in that area or something like that. And uh, and I was probably eating at the aid station too. So yeah, I had a watermelon seed wedged in like the uh, in in my left nut. So yeah, <laughs> that was an embarrassing story. That was yeah, embarrassing. That's too funny. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I can't believe I just told that story. So um, yeah. Anyway, that's that. <laughs> uh, that was a good one. I can only imagine pulling a watermelon seed off your nut <laughs> while you're driving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially so, yeah. coming off and being like, what just came off? <laughs> I have to have another funny little story for you. So I was uh, uh, at my first hundred miler. Um, I'm deep into a race and uh, my crew who um, bless her heart. Great, great lady. But um, uh, she there, you know, she, was it was her first time crewing there was not a lot that she under you know stood about crewing so i i get to mile 80 and i said to my pacer i was like dude i'm gonna talk about my nuts again by the way <laughs> I, I, I said to my pacer i was like dude i'm like totally chafed i i just can't it's it's irritating me and so my pacer um pulls out a, a ziploc bag and he said here uh put this on it you know it was basically uh baby powder so he gave me baby powder so i went down i i went behind a tree and i um you know put put the baby powder on where i needed to to fix the chafing and you know it's like I mean, you're 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 altering so you're like doing this you know like, you know you're like ah you know and so i had this baby powder on my face and so i get to the aid station and my my crew says to me it's like what what's that on your face? And without skipping a beat, my my pacer says, Do every runner gets a couple of ounces? Don't do it. <laughs> it comes with your race registry. Don't say anything because how do you think these ultra runners make it through this? The arties give you a couple of ounces. And so my crew was like, what what my crew was convinced that i was snorting coke she was convinced that everybody was snorting coke at these ultras you know and so later in the race like at mile 95 or what it is um i'm like almost to the finish and she is like walking with me and she's just like is everything okay you know and you know and i'm just you know like all right whatever well a week later, she had like this total intervention for me. She was like, you have a problem. You, you, <laughs> this has to stop. And I'm like thinking, 
she's referring to my running problem. I was like, it's not a problem. It just, I'd like to run. It's like, no, you got a drug problem. What the hell are you talking about? And it was then that we realized that um, she was uh, referring to, uh, um, she thought, she really believed that everyone got a couple of ounces of cocaine. <laughs> That's why races are getting so expensive nowadays. Exactly, <laughs> you know. But you know, I I do one of my uh, things. I, I I come into like, you know, I like I try to keep it fun because if, if you're like miserable at a race, then you're gonna not do well. So I'll I'll limp into like an aid station like at mile ninety. It's like, do you have any coke? And they pour me some coke. And I was like, I wasn't asking for the liquid form. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Have you ever been told uh, yes? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have on the race plan for the rest of the year? I, I'm i just, right now, I'm kind of recovering from, um, I, I've just been, 2023 hasn't been uh, too kind to me. Um, I, I've just been dealing with some medical issues. So, which basically resulted in um, me, um, um, I, I'm dealing with a um, um, rheumatoid arthritis. So my uh, my doctor had put me on like prednisone and uh, we we're experimenting with different meds to help me combat this uh, this issue. And um, I uh, this has caused me to not train. It caused me to gain a little weight and it, it resulted in me. Um, it's the big reason why I DNF'd at the Keys 100. So um, I am just trying to get back into it and kind of uh, pressing the restart button and uh, starting over again, uh, trying to lose a little bit of weight and just getting my mileage back up. So um, hopefully by the end of the um, th by the end of this year, I will be able to return to form um, and then go from there. So I, I don't have anything concrete on my schedule just yet, but um, I have ideas, but I need to get well first before I pursue those, uh, those ideas. Nice. Yeah. It's always good to have a, a reset. You've been running for a lot of years and your health comes first. So yeah, it's a good thing to have a little reset and start the journey over again. Cause you know, it'll be a new journey. Yep. So we always like to ask our guests, what kind of gear you use? Well, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? What kind of, we always like to ask our guests, what kind of gear you use? Oh, you know gear. what I heard you say? <laughs> God, I got to check <laughs> my gears. I thought you said, um, how can you cure us? And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, cure you? I, There's no cure. You seem like normal people to me. You don't need curing. <laughs> <laughs> we might. <laughs> Sorry, gear, and not the steroid gear. <laughs> gear. Okay. I, let's We're not looking um, for cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, I'm a Hoka guy. I love my Hokas. I wear the um the Hoka Challengers because it's a nice hybrid shoe. It's like you can use it for road. You can use it for trail. So I I do like my um my Challengers. Um, if I'm running a hardcore trail race like Bandera or um, um, that's a great race, by the way, if you ever are looking for a hundred K in Texas, Bandera is a great one. That one's like really technical and really rocky. So for something like that, I like to wear the um, speed goats, 
the Hoka speed goats. So those they give like a lot of uh, traction on the bottom of the uh, the shoe. So um, I'm a Hoka guy. Um, aside from that, I'm I'm all about the squirrel nut butter. I, I um that's that's my go-to lube I guess I when I ran Tunnel Hill this is so funny I was at mile I, I kid you not it was mile 69. <laughs> I was at mile 69 and this dude comes in he's doing like that weird kind of like chafing shuffle kind of thing and he was like dude I, I once again I'm talking about nuts you know he was like oh my nuts are <laughs> So I gave him my my squirrel nut butter. So the ongoing joke between me and him, we were strangers. Now we're like Facebook friends and stuff. But the ongoing joke is that um, um, I I met this dude in the forest at mile sixty nine. I gave him some lube, and oh. <laughs> you know that was like that's the ongoing joke between <laughs> me and him now. But anyway, uh, squirrel nut butter. That's like a um, that that's my go to, and I I carry it all the time. Um, and, um, and you can't forget monkey butt, uh, diaper rash and stuff, you know, for, you know, things like that. And of course the, um, the, the cocaine, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, uh, the baby powder, the baby powder. I don't, I'm not, I don't, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and you know, I carry a hydration pack. I have a Solomon. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. I used to have a Solomon. No, I interchange between a Solomon and a Nathan pack. And, um, yeah, th that's my gear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, still laughing at the nuts um, <clears throat> salty nuts <laughs> salty nuts um, <laughs> so we're trying to grow our network so who is someone you look up to or you know has a good story to tell like yours should we have on our podcast next I will say um there is a local race company in my in Northern California, my area, um, called Brazen Racing, and the um, it's a couple, um, it's a family-run uh, race company, and um, Sam and Jasmine are um, the the husband-wife team who puts on these races, and um, what's so great about Brazen Racing is that they Sam and Jasmine really tapped into the running community and uh, they have made it inclusive to like the uh, um, trail runners, a serious trail runner. Um, and when I say serious, I mean the trail runner who is in it for speed and to win races. Um, everyone is serious about running. I, I want to make that clear. I'm not, you know, so um, the, um, the serious trail runner but they also uh, accommodate and uh, are really uh, big on um, um, including the uh, the couch to five Kers and like the the beginners and the families. So they offer things like um, early starts. So they have like these tough uh, races, a uh, trail races. Um, uh, is known for their very tough um, uh, trail um, races. Uh, some of these, the one I did yesterday. Um, it was a 5K, but there was 800 feet of uh, climbing in this 5K alone. Wow. The half marathon had, um, I think, 3,000 feet. So these are hard, but a brazen racing, um, they they make it so that everyone is included. So if you're a little bit slower and you need an extra hour, you can take the hiker start. So um, uh, it's uh, J uh, Sam and Jasmine Fiendaka. Fian 
I probably just totally slaughtered their name. I'm so sorry, Sam and Jasmine. <laughs> I never say their last name. I I only know them as Sam and Jasmine Brazen, you know. So um, <laughs> that's who I would recommend this couple because they have done. They knew me when I was um, when I was first starting out. They they knew me when I was endorphin dude wearing a cape to their races, and they they have uh, over the past fourteen they have. Um, seen me blossom into um, the ultra runner that I am. And I remember this was the nicest thing um, anyone has ever done for me was Jasmine sent me this beautiful letter when I, um, when I got into Western States, um, I, I ran Western States in 2021. Um, I, I did uh, DNF at uh, Western States um, a little bit early on. I DNF'd at um, um, mile 24. Um, but Sam, uh, Jasmine has sent me this beautiful letter saying, we watched you from your early days as endorphin dude and how you have matured into this ultra runner. And now you're running Western States. We are so proud of you. Obviously I'm paraphrasing it, but, um, it was, it was a beautiful letter that I actually framed it and have it on my wall because it's just so nice, you know? And that's why I, um, if you can get Sam and Jasmine um, onto your podcast, they they have some great stories. They they have really helped develop many many uh, runners uh, who started out as the um, couch to five k and now conquering things like hundreds and two hundreds and Western states and you know all these other great races. You know, so uh, Sam and Jasmine, that's th- those two are my inspiration. Awesome, perfect. Thank you. Well, we'll give you a few minutes if you want to give any shout outs where people can find you on social media or your Strava, whatever you want to find. I'm endorphin dude. If you type in endorphin dude, you'll find me on Instagram, Strava, Facebook, endorphin dude, endorphin dude, <laughs> yeah. endorphin dude, go follow endorphin dude. <laughs> well, Tony, it was a pleasure. Thanks for coming on and telling us your story. It was a, it was a great conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And um, um, I, I'll, I'll definitely give Jesse Ellis a call later, you know, and let him know. Thank you for referring me over to you. I don't know if that was a, a big mistake on his part, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I had fun and um, I really appreciate um, the time. And um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I like, uh, you know, I like telling my story because I, I always said that um, for myself, I feel like if I know what it's like to be that fat kid who was always picked last for PE, who uh, grew up into the uh, adult who just was unhealthy. So I I get that. And I know there's a lot of people out there like me. So um, that's why I'm very public about my story so that people can see um, that um, it they put in the work and it could happen uh, to them too. I always said that if I can experience, if I can just inspire one person to get off the couch, then I've made the world a little bit better. One couch potato at a time. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again.